Well, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. If someone were to ask you, what must I do to be saved or to have eternal life? How would you respond? Well, first, you might be somewhat shocked. (laughs) But then likely you would be excited for the opportunity to answer their question. But what would you say? You should think seriously about this and be prepared. In our parable for today, Jesus was asked that question. And it's interesting how he handled it. You can learn a lot from him, as you will today. And so follow as I read verses 25 to 37. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This account here is unique uh, to Luke. And it takes place near the end of Jesus' three-year earthly ministry. He was preparing for his final trip to Jerusalem by aggressively preaching the gospel of the kingdom and calling people to follow him, to be his disciples. And you see that clearly at the latter part of chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. He was even sending out 70 other people believers, to blanket the surrounding cities and villages with the truth, as we see in the previous context of this passage, the first 20 verses. And then we 
see these words in verses 21 to 25. At that very time, he, speaking of Jesus, rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Turning to His disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you, that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them. And to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. And a lawyer stood up and put him, that is Jesus, to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That question there in verse 25 is what leads the rest of the conversation between Jesus and the lawyer, or the scribe, including the parable. Though there have been lots of messages about humanitarian aid and love through the parable of the Good Samaritan, let me just say this right up front. It cannot, let me repeat that, it cannot be separated from what Jesus was sharing about eternal life. This is very important to understand from this passage. So I want you to capture that right off the bat. Now it says here that the scribe put Jesus to the test with his question. Now I have to admit that I'm not sure about this lawyer's, this scribe's motives here. There are good men who land on either side of it. On one hand, he could have been sincere, since he spoke to Jesus very respectfully and for himself personally. I mean, look at verse 25. And the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, he was being respectful, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He didn't say, and what shall we do, but what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He may have genuinely wanted to know if Jesus had the answer since Jesus talked about this all the time. On the other hand, he could have been very cynical. Since we see what we do there in verse 29, where it says, but wishing to justify himself. He was a scribe. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. And therefore, he may have wanted to prove, to test, whether Jesus was the real deal or not. And frankly, I kind of lean toward that here in this section of scripture. But either way, the question was asked and Jesus took him up on it. You know, beloved, today, there are sincere seekers... And there are those who are cynical about Christianity. When you have the opportunity to talk with them about eternal life, what do you say? Or what will you say? 
I'm coming back to that question once again. Well, there are two simple lessons, two simple lessons about eternal life, which Jesus wanted the lawyer to understand and to grasp here. And I trust that you have or will embrace them for yourselves and to use them as you're reaching out to the lost. Let's follow Jesus. All right. He's the best evangelist, right? Yes. So we have something to learn from him here in this portion of scripture. And the first lesson I want you to notice is there in verses 25 to 29. I'm going to read it again. And the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? We'll stop right there. What do you notice? Now, I notice, no, that this lesson doesn't just pop out of the page here. But it is simply this. Eternal life cannot be merited. Okay? That's the first lesson that Jesus is trying to drive home with this scribe, with this lawyer. Eternal life cannot be merited. Now, you might ask, well, then why did Jesus direct this man to the law? And then moments later said, do this and you will live. I mean, Jesus was quoting there from Leviticus 18 and verse 5. Well, first, as I mentioned earlier, this lawyer was a scribe. He was a legal expert of the law. And so therefore, he knew the Old Testament scriptures. He interpreted them. And so Jesus wanted to know from him how it read or how it was recited. He was asking specifically there about the Shema. And where is the Shema located? In Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, which was quoted and read daily. It was. In fact, even today, Orthodox Jews do the very same thing. And so the lawyer here confidently obliged Jesus, even adding in Leviticus 19 and verse 18, to love your neighbor as yourself. So both are there, right there in verse 27. And together, it all summarizes what? The Ten Commandments, right? Which comes down to loving God and others. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about. The scribe had answered correctly, and the master commended him. Now, we're going to stop here for a moment, and I want you to turn with me to Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, holding your space here in Luke 10. Matthew Matthew 22, beginning with verse 34. 
But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And it's Jesus who answers the question. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. In this portion of scripture, Jesus answered the lawyer. In our present passage, he asked him, what does the law say? He wanted to hear from the lawyer, from the scribe himself. Now, I want you to turn with me over to Luke 18 as well. Luke 18, we've read this portion of scripture before, but it goes right along with what we are considering here today. Luke 18, beginning with verse 18. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He's stressing there the idea of loving others as yourself. And this is what the man said. All these things I have kept from my youth. Kind of the wheels are turning in Jesus' mind. Really? When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for you For those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Amen and amen. And so what Jesus did here in our present text by directing the man to the law was not unusual. He did this quite often. He was simply confirming with this man what he knew and then letting God's Word speak to him, to let the Word penetrate his heart. And it did. There's no question about that. It did. But then secondly, Jesus wanted the law here to indict the lawyer. That's right. To condemn him. What does he say there? Do this and you will live. That's what it says there in verse 28. That is, obey what you just said all the time and you will have eternal life. That word do there, that verb, is in the present tense. means ongoing. In fact, Jesus said the same thing again at the end in verse 37. Go and do the same. What he wanted him to see was that he couldn't obey perfectly. And 
all the time. Couldn't. It was impossible. There was nothing that he or anyone else could do to merit eternal life. We're all sinners. Guilty and hopeless in and of ourselves. The scribe knew this, which is made very clear here in verse 29. When he says, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, he wanted to convince himself. He's under conviction. He wanted to convince himself and others that he was righteous by redirecting the conversation to who is my neighbor as though there were some that he didn't have to love. (laughs) And how do I know that? Go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Holding your space here. Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to notice what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5. Beginning with verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and what? Hate your enemy. That was the thinking. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, Jesus was about stripping people. Particularly the religious elite of the day. Of their self-righteousness. Why? So that they might cry out for mercy. But they just couldn't bring themselves to do that. Why? It was the pride in their hearts. That's why. And that's why you see what you do there in verse 29. But wishing to justify himself. He's under conviction. But he's trying to work his way around the whole thing. And Jesus is not going to let him go. Beloved, he was not contradicting gospel truth by using the law not at all you see the law has been given to show mankind that they can't keep it and must turn to god for mercy for faith for forgiveness and salvation what does it say in romans 3 19 and 20 now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become uncountable to god Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3. We find the same truth there as well. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have indeed been based on law. But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. 
But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And so I pray this morning that you can learn from our master teacher here. The importance of helping people see their sin. Even using the law if necessary. Who does that very, very well? Ray Comfort, right? Yeah, he he does that quite often as he's sharing the gospel, as he's evangelizing. He just brings them face to face with the law. They can't get around it. And no one can live it out perfectly. And he knows that. He wants to help them see their sin, that they fall short, that there's nothing they can do to merit eternal life. And then when you got them there, that's when you bring them the good news of the gospel, right? Amen. Eternal life cannot be merited, only received in Jesus Christ. And we're going to come back to that. Because what did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth and life. No man come of the Father but by me. In other words, what he's saying, I am the only way. There is no other way. Eternal life cannot be merited. That's the first lesson. This leads right into the next lesson about eternal life. That's captured there in the parable. Verses 30 to 37. And I'm going to read this again. I I wasn't going to, but I am. It's a story. And we all like stories, right? Yeah, this is a good story. Beginning with verse 30. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. What's captured here? Again, it doesn't jump out off the page. But it's simply this. Eternal life is characterized by sacrificial love. That's right. Eternal life is characterized by sacrificial love. This parable here is a gracious response to the lawyer's question there in verse 29. Again, but wishing to justify himself, He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He asked that with a self-righteous attitude. 
And I'll tell you that Jesus answered it somewhat differently than what the man expected. And the reason he did such is to help him see once again that he fell way short of God's righteous standard. And that was what? To love your neighbor as yourself. Just as he had said back in verse 27. As you can see there in verse 30, the master went on to tell a story of a man. And by the way, it's a Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and was overtaken by robbers. And then he was stripped. He was beaten and left half dead. And I'll just tell you, that road going from Jerusalem to Jericho is very, very rough. It's about 15 miles and it's all downhill. And in Jesus' day, it was rugged, rugged terrain. Nobody liked to take that route, but some did. And so it was a good place for robbers to hide out. And if someone came along, they could attack them. That's what happened here. So this wasn't unusual that Jesus is saying these things. They understood or he understood what he was saying. Well, shortly thereafter, two men, and by the way, they're religious men, right? A priest and a Levite. You see that there in verses 31 and 32. These men worked in the temple. They knew the law. And they came upon their countrymen here and they passed by giving no assistance. Now, just think about that. I mean, really? These are not just ordinary people. We're talking about a Levite and a priest, a religious group of men here. You would have thought that they would have stopped with their own countrymen and helped him out, right? They didn't. That's what the text says here. I believe that Jesus really was, metaphorically speaking, sticking his finger right into their hearts regarding the religious elite of the day. Absolutely. But then the master said, a Samaritan there in verse 33. And by the way, a Samaritan was the enemy of the Jews. For centuries they had been enemies. He also came by, yet he showed compassion and gave assistance as revealed there in verses 34 and 35. It says there, and he came and bandaged up his wounds. Likely he would have had to tear some of his own clothes. To bandage this man up. He poured oil and wine on them. It's a cleansing agent. It's a healing agent. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He just didn't leave him there and took off. No, he stayed with him through the night and cared for him. Now look at verse 35. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. By the way, a denarii was a day's wage. So two days wages, which have, which would have cared for this man for approximately two months. And then he said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Wow. Kind of a blank check there. If you need more time to take care of this man, do it. And when I come back, I promise you, I'll repay you. Wow. Now, let's just stop here for a moment. It's kind of good at a certain moment in the story just to stop and just take this in. I I did this past week. 
Let me ask you this question. If you were encountered like this, how would you respond? If you came upon someone in this situation, how would you respond? I would like to think that all of us, especially believers, <laughs> would stop and care for the man, right? Wouldn't you? Sure. I'll tell you, just asking that question reveals where our heart might be at. Examine yourself this morning. You claim to be believers. Where's the love? Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Watch out. Examine. Well, in the following verse, Jesus drove home the point of the story by returning to the scribe's original question, but in a different way. Look what he says there in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Now go back with me to the original question in verse 29. But Jesus, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, what? And who is my neighbor? You see, on one hand, through the story, the man answered, Jesus answered, who is my neighbor as being what? It's anyone in need, even your enemy. Jesus answered that question through the story. Your neighbor is anyone who is in need, even your enemy. On the other hand, in verse 36, he wanted him to know which of these three was neighborly. Loving others as yourself. Again, he's bringing it right to his heart just as he had quoted earlier in verse 27. I think it's interesting how he went on to answer the question there in verse 37. And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. That's obvious, right? But he didn't say what? The Samaritan man. He didn't say that. And then the master went on to apply the lesson. Go and do the same. Just like he said earlier in verse 28. The account here ends with the assumption that the lawyer left without heeding Jesus' message. You know, it's possible that he wouldn't have. You know why? Because he didn't want to identify himself with a Samaritan. But really, he couldn't. Why? Because he didn't have eternal life. That's why. Think about it. Here you have this man, this lawyer, this scribe, speaking to Jesus, who is eternal life, about eternal life. <laughs> The Son of God here, the perfect embodiment of that Samaritan man, 
coming to rescue sinners from the curse and offer eternal life. That's right. Jesus came to heal our sinful wounds. Did he not? Jesus is the perfect embodiment of the Samaritan man. Look at Romans 5, 6 to 8, or just listen. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me just tell you, there's nothing that we can do on this earth as an expression of love that will match up to what the Savior did. He loved us as His enemies. He went to the cross and died for us to give us life. In fact, it goes on to say in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. It's as simple as that. And so those who recognize their sin and believe in Jesus will know eternal life. They will inherit His life and be characterized by what? Sacrificial love. Not perfectly, <laughs> because we still are in our flesh. But who did it perfectly? Jesus. And we put our trust in Him. So with His help, we can grow in that, right? Because we have His love. Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John 4. 1 John 4. First John 4, 7 to 11. First John 4, 7 to 11. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And as the Apostle John was closing this epistle, what does he say in 5.13? These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. How do you know you have eternal life? One of the ways is by being characterized. By sacrificial love. That's one of the ways. Although there are many things that we could capture in 1 John. That certainly is one of them that's emphasized over and over again. And so, beloved, if there are some of you this morning who are trying to justify yourselves, stop. Stop. Because you can't. Why? Because the law condemns you just as it did that lawyer. Turn to Jesus who alone can justify you. 
declare you righteous and give you eternal life. For those of you who are true believers this morning, you have God's love. Why? Because you have eternal life within you. What grace. And so practice it by His grace and grow in it. Just as Paul told the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you for yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. You see, we can love through Jesus Christ. When we fail, we can repent, seek forgiveness, and be faithful to Him. All because of Jesus Christ. We can only do it through Him. You see, the the lawyer in our passage of Scripture was trying to do it without Jesus. Trying to justify himself. Again, if you are seeking to justify yourselves this morning, stop because you can't. It's impossible. Heed the message of Jesus Christ here. You know, I shared this story with you a while back. But I think it's worth repeating again, as I believe it perfectly illustrates what we've considered today. And yet Jesus loved us so much more. It's entitled, White Man to God's Man. When Wycliffe translator Doug Malone and his wife moved into the village of Brazil's Funil Indians, he was referred to simply as the white man. The term was by no means complimentary, since other white men had exploited them, burned their homes, and robbed them of their lands. But after the Milans learned the Funil language and began to help the people with medicine and in other ways, they began calling Doug the respectable white man. When the Milans began adapting the customs of the people, the Funil gave them greater acceptance and spoke of Doug as the white Indian. Then one day, as Doug was washing the dirty blood cake foot of an injured Funil boy, he overheard a bystander stay to another, who ever heard of a white man washing an Indian's foot before? Certainly this man is from God. From that day on, whenever Doug would go into an Indian home, it would be announced, here comes the man God sent us. Amen and amen. Would it be to God that we would have that same testimony? Why? Because you have eternal life. You didn't merit it. You received it through Jesus Christ. Praise be to him. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Oh God, we thank you so much for our salvation. And I pray that God, we would embrace from our hearts the two lessons that we have learned through this parable today. That eternal life cannot be merited. And those who have eternal life are characterized by sacrificial love. That lawyer that day missed out because of his pride. Oh, how I pray that God, if there's someone here seeking to justify themselves, that they would fall on their faces and repent. That they would see how far short they have come. And turn to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Help them to know 
eternal life by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.